Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful TJ Van Gerven. TJ, are you ready to do this? I am ready. Excellent. Let's do this. TJ is a CFP and a financial planner at Modern Wealth Builders. I'm excited to have you on. TJ, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Yeah. So personally, I grew up on the island of Martha's Vineyard, which if you're not familiar, it is an island off of Massachusetts. And I currently live and work from my home in the greater Boston area. <clears throat> as far as what I do, I provide fee-only financial planning and wealth management services to Gen X and Gen Y professionals, helping them make smart financial and investing decisions. I like it. All right. So Gen X and Gen Y. I fall... I'm, I just turned 40, and my wife will sometimes tell me that I'm a millennial, which makes <laughs> me really clench my fists. And <laughs> of course, I'm kidding, but I am I'm a Gen Xer, and my wife is a Gen Y, and she works in human resources. And so we, we, we have these conversations about the differences and how it's important to be communicating differently with, with millennials than it is for, for other people. I don't know if that's been your experience or... How has that been working yeah. with, 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 with millennials? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually traditionally uh, started working in obviously the retirement space because that's where the advisory business is based just because they tend to be more profitable. They tend to have the assets to support asset management fees. And so I wanted to branch out and work with younger folks, kind of high earning you know, professionals who are trying to make smart financial decisions, but maybe they're just starting to accumulate assets. And so the thing that I've actually noticed is a lot of the younger generations are actually a lot more financially savvy when it comes to investing decisions. And so they actually require a lot more from their financial advisors because they understand the basics of investing in personal finance. And so it's really about adding as much value as you can outside of the investment selection because investing has turned into such a kind of commodity with so many great low costing low cost investing solutions, whether it's Vanguard or robo-advisors. And so I feel that the Gen X and Gen Y professionals are much more informed consumers. And so it really requires um, financial advisors to add a lot more value than I would say the traditional approach to wealth management. Got it. Well, I appreciate that. And all the information that we could ever possibly hope to uh, hope to consume is right at our fingertips literally these days. So, so that makes sense. So how do you go about adding more value? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the biggest misconception I get from prospects and potential clients is that they view a financial advisor as, hey, take this lump sum of money and go out and do a bunch of cool things with it and come back to me and let's see what we have. And that's really not what the value of a financial advisor is, in my opinion. Obviously, investment selection and determining the right exposure for a client is very important. However, that's just one piece of the puzzle. It's really about understanding every aspect of your financial life and making sure that we are taking advantage of your resources, maximizing those, and controlling the things that we can. So really diving deep into cash flow and budgeting, understanding where your money is going after tax, taking the resources you do have and making the most of them. And so whether it's maximizing employer benefits, if you have stock options and 401k and other um, – variations of equity compensation, being efficient with taxes, 
uh, potential estate planning, identifying risks that can get in the way of your financial plan. So making sure that you have the right coverage from a life insurance standpoint, disability insurance, and then potentially transferring risks for long-term care as you grow older, those kind of things. So it's way more than just investment selection. And that's why I try to um, articulate to people, but that can be difficult to do when we have such a stereotype around what a financial advisor does. Yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I try not to drop too many names on, uh, on on the show or in life in general, but I was just talking to Mr. Ron Carson of the Carson Group yesterday, and he talked about how a financial advisor really needs to be more of a librarian than a library. And I thought that that was a pretty cool way to think about it. And that's mm-hmm. sort of what you're talking about, right? It's how do I bring all this information and all these different things together for my clients? Absolutely, absolutely. And I also, so I am a fee-only financial planner or financial advisor, but I also have a somewhat unique fee structure in that I do charge a flat monthly or quarterly subscription that includes both investment management and financial planning services. And so I really like that model and I do believe it is the future of financial advisory services because it is not predicated on where you hold your assets I'm not here to try and gather people's assets, and I didn't come into this business to be an asset gatherer. I came into this business to try and help people make the best financial decisions for them, and obviously that includes investment management, but after kind of establishing your financial foundation, and if you're doing the right things from a personal finance and investing standpoint, if you want to branch out and do other things, whether it's real estate, starting your own business, I don't want there to be friction from a a conflict standpoint where I get compensated on assets. So I'm going to tell you or I'm going to be incentivized to not tell you to take those risks and and try to grow your wealth in other ways that you might want to do. Yeah, I appreciate that. There's certainly been a lot of conversations about fiduciary standard um, over the past couple of years. And that's really what you're talking about is acting in the best interest of client. That is absolutely correct. And to be honest, it's kind of a weird juxtaposition with the fiduciary standard and the traditional asset management fee because, yes, on one hand, you know, being a fee-only financial advisor and charging asset management uh, fee is, is better than obviously a commission style where there's really poor incentives to, to oversell product. However, I would argue if you're charging a traditional asset management fee, I don't know if that's necessarily in the client's best interest because – to me, and this is just a personal thing, and I'm not here to tell people how to charge fees. However, in my experience, there is no more work managing a $500,000 portfolio versus a $5 million portfolio. So the fact that we are compensated, in that case, 10 times as much if you're charging a traditional kind of 1% fee, I, I don't think is really in the client's best interest. And that's why I like the idea of charging a flat fee. And I don't care what people charge. I mean, charge $10,000 a month if you want. If someone's willing to pay that, that's great. But it's just a next level of transparency and um, identifying what your true value is to your who you're trying to serve. Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting, interesting topic and conversation that I don't know that too many people have thought about or too many people are having necessarily. And there's probably a lot of reasons behind that. But yeah, I mean, how much extra effort does it take to manage a million dollars versus a hundred million dollars? And should I be compensated 100 times? more for that and i don't know the answer to that necessarily but right but probably not tj (laughs) (laughs) yeah and again i'm not here to try and tell people how to um how to manage you know how to charge fees and how to um, create a financial advisory service 
I just think that as the future of financial advisory, because the investment side of things is becoming such a commodity and that there are such great low cost um, options for investing. And I do come from that camp of kind of your behavioral decisions are what determines your long term investment success. And so, um, like I said, investment selection is important, but really sticking to your investment strategy is what is going to determine uh, your long term success. Amen, brother. I think we can. 100% 100% agree on that it's important to just have these conversations with clients and people and say, okay, hey, here's how much I'm making on this. Here's how much time it's going to take me. And if that makes sense to everybody, well, then by all means, go ahead and move forward. But I always I always think that transparency is so important. So, Absolutely. All right. So that behavioral decision making is, is, is what's key. And I definitely agree with you. Are, are, are people is 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 going through a cash flow management and a budgeting exercise is that is that easier for this younger generation or is it is it hard for everybody I think it's hard for everybody however um, I think the thing that makes it a little bit easier for the younger generation is that we are so comfortable with using technology and kind of these third-party services that allow us to aggregate investment accounts credit cards bank accounts and those kind of things and so it's like you said, it's at our fingertips. So all of these different platforms, we can literally pull up our smartphone and see exactly where our money is, exactly what it's doing at any given point. And it allows us to be more top of mind for where our money is actually going. And so it's kind of harder for the older generations typically to get into that mode of having that access at your fingertips. A lot of times just because they're concerned about security and and those kind of things, which I totally understand it's just that we've grown up in this era of technology. So we're kind of, we've succumbed to the idea of having all of our information out there. And so it's, it's now being used as a tool for us to kind of maximize what we do have. Yeah. I appreciate that. And obviously understanding cash flow and, and, and having a budget, understanding that is probably the most foundational thing from a financial standpoint. All that being said, it can be awfully difficult to balance you know, saving if you're 25 years old, saving for age 65 or even 70, um, right. and, and making spending decisions today. Absolutely, and I think the thing that I try to communicate to the younger clients that I have is that you want to target a percentage for a savings rate of your after-tax income. So let's say you're trying to save 20% of your after-tax income. Saving can come in a variety of different forms. You don't have to actually be putting 20% of your after-tax savings directly towards uh, your investment portfolio. A lot of the younger folks obviously have student loans and, and all these different um, debt, right? And so if you are paying down student loans, that is cr- increasing your net worth. So that goes towards that 20% savings rate. So as long as you are living below your means enough to at least at a bare minimum put 20% of your after-tax income towards something that's increasing your net worth over time, that's going to free up cash flow. And then as long as you don't fall victim to lifestyle creep and hopefully your income is increasing, you take that new windfall from maybe you pay down your student loans and then you take that and you continue to put it towards something that'll grow your net worth. Hopefully that's something that'll actually grow for you, whether it's your investment portfolio, real estate, starting a business, something of that nature. Yeah, I think that that's a great rule of thumb, thinking about it in terms of dedicating 20% towards debt repayment, savings, like like you were talking about. 
talk to us a little bit more about lifestyle creep. Yeah, so lifestyle creep is probably the hardest thing to fight. And what lifestyle creep is is that as your income increases, you tend to increase your standard of living. So things that were once luxuries are now necessities. So maybe previously you only went out to dinner once a week and now your income rises and you are going out to dinner three times a week or four times a week, or you're spending more on your bigger ticket items, which is really what gets you in trouble, whether it's your car and especially overextending yourself on a home. And so the key to building wealth is that as your income rises, you are not increasing your standard of living. You're maintaining a standard of living that hopefully provides you joy in the present, but allows you to save and invest to solidify your financial future. And so that's really the key. And, and I never advocate people give up too much in the present. It's really about finding that balance of living for today, but still planning for tomorrow. And it can be hard to do, but when you identify things that truly bring you happiness, you can get rid of a lot of the things that are kind of extras that might cost a lot of money. Um, and actually, there's a thing called money dials, which Ramit Sethi speaks about. And it's about figuring out the things in your life that truly bring you happiness, whether it's travel or um, fitness or these kind of things, and spending more on those expenses and then relentlessly turning down expenses that really don't bring you that that joy. I think that that is such a cool and important conversation that it, it it's one of those things I seem to be talking about that quite a bit right now. So that's also really been on my mind. And what a what a cool way to think about things is, you know, it's 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 okay to be having a five dollar or ten dollar latte if that makes you extremely right. happy, right? It's not like, and if avocado toast makes somebody <laughs> super happy, well, well, then by all means go for it. But it is, it's just it's doing an audit of how it is you're you're making your spending decisions, and if in fact that's bringing you joy, well, then keep doing it. Absolutely. And that's what I try to walk clients through is, you know, what do you truly value? And, and what I've noticed for kind of my generation is that we really value flexibility and convenience over kind of, I think there's this misconception that, you know, millennials are entitled and they want material goods. From what I've seen, it's really about they want experiences and they want to maximize the resources that they do have. And so they don't really care about having a, a big house. They care about being able to go out on a weekend and not worry about, you know, the bill for, uh, um, you know, a dinner or those kind of things. So flexibility and convenience are kind of the number one priorities from what I've seen from the uh, millennial generation. I like it. I like it. Well, TJ, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Yeah, so my difference-making tip is understanding incentives. Incentives are the most powerful predictor of human behavior, and it's not to be cynical. It's just that to look into yourself and to look into others and understand the incentives that drive us to act the way that we act. And if you can understand those incentives, it'll help you – be more savvy in making your own personal decisions and it'll put you in a position to hire people that are going to have your best interest in mind and work with people that are going to provide the best value. And so 
understanding incentives is the most powerful thing in predicting human behavior. That is my tip. I think that is great stuff. That definitely gets Come on. Come on. TJ, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Yes. So if you want to learn about me, the easiest way is to go to modernwealthbuilders.com, which you can find all of my social media um, outlets as well. However, my biggest outlet is definitely Instagram at Modern Wealth Builders. So you can find me there as well. Excellent. Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show TJ your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to modernwealthbuilders.com. And also follow them on Instagram at Modern Wealth Builders. And I will list both of those in the notes of the show. Thanks again, TJ. Thanks, George. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. Before I go, quick announcement. I've been asked by so many people over the past couple of years about how do I start a podcast that I've developed and released a course that will teach you exactly how to do that step by step from figuring out the kind of show that you want to have to understanding how all the technology works behind it and then how to get great guests and uh, keep the thing moving and how to grow it. So if you're interested in that, check it out. You can go to georgegrombacher.com forward slash podcast course and you'll find it there. You can just go to the website. I'll also list that in the notes of the show. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing. Leave us a review. And definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.